Praise the Lord. Yeah, I didn't elaborate. I took it for granted. Everybody knew that was our children's minister. But um, for for our um, last weekend, um, she had an idea to make the bags, and uh, she just wanted to, uh, you know, she just wanted to bless the kids. And and you know, we said, well, you know, we can help you with that. No, no, no. I want to bless the kids. And so her and her family, if you get a chance, you know, thank them for that. Those bags they put together last week, every. A uh, single child in the building got one of those last week, and it's just out of the kindness of their heart. And uh, so just so proud of the children's ministry and the job they're doing back there. And um, so praise the Lord. Um, God gave me an awesome, awesome message today. I was so excited all morning to come deliver it. Um, and I want to thank, before I get started, I want to thank everybody for praying for me. I know they won't tell you this, but... Um, and this is going to sound really um, reckless on my part, but we sat down in a meeting um, and signed a contract to take that test. And uh, it's several pages long, like what is it, four or five pages long. And in the fine print, all we seen was May. And um, I don't know if any of us remembered that that test was uh, the day after um, this big weekend we had here at church. And I don't even know totally that they remembered it. And so anyway, long story short, um, he called me on Saturday afternoon and uh, said, are you going to be here Monday? You're ready to go on this test. <laughs> and so anyway, I thought the test was in May. So um, when we came to church on Sunday morning, um, Eddie was like, did you remember that test being Monday? And I said, I had no idea. I was so busy doing everything, you know, that I just totally forgot about that test being that soon and being on the date that it was. So uh, so uh, I tried to act like I wasn't nervous, but Eddie could tell I was nervous, got some men together, we prayed, and a lot of people all morning prayed. I would have been very happy to just pass the test, you know, 70% would have been very pleasing to me. I stayed up all night, studied, 300-page uh, uh, basically, it's a 300-page book called Bible Doctrines, and they want to make sure if they give you a provisional certificate of ministry that you have the knowledge necessary, and then you agree to take two years of uh, classes, you know, a year to two years to finish all the classes, but you get a provisional certificate if you have the knowledge necessary on the Bible Doctrines. So 300 pages, I read 250 pages over the night, and then um, and then I have to have the 16 fundamental truths of the assemblies of God I have to have a memorized word for word so on the way up there my wife drove me up and memorized all 16 on the way up and God just gave me such favor from all the prayers that I had enough time after I memorized them to read the 50 pages and I actually finished the last page as we drove into the parking lot and uh, and then also you take the test and then if you pass the test they grade it there and then there's a panel of three ministers, and then they interview you on the Bible doctrines. So if the questions, if you didn't display that you knew the answers, then they get to ask you about another 40 questions on Bible doctrine. And, and then they, they also interview my wife to make sure, you know, uh, ask her questions about my lifestyle and things like that. So fortunately, you know, she, uh, you know, answered them well. and <laughs> She gives me a lot of favor. So I really appreciate the prayers. I honest and truly would have been very happy just to pass. 
but to have such favor and to do so well on it was really, really a blessing. I mean, really a great blessing. So thank you. All right. This study we're going to do today is an absolutely amazing study, and I would say that a lot of Christians have never even looked at this book in the Bible. Some of you have, some of you know it well. But a lot of people probably haven't looked at it. It's the book of Habakkuk. How many have ever done intense study in the book of Habakkuk? And it's a great book. I mean, it's a treasure um, that you really need to know about. And um, let me let me start with this. I want you to think about the worst, the, the, the worst bad news. Oh, before I start, Matt Reister is so happy to have you and Katie, right? Uh, Matthew's an old, old friend. You know, we grew up together in church and he uh, was in my youth group when he was uh, a young man. And I just, uh, it just thrilled me to see him walk in here this morning and be a part of our morning service here. So give him a hand. Love seeing Matthew this morning. I'll try to make sure I don't call you Matthew. Call you Matt. Um, but I want you to think about the worst bad news that you've ever had. Like, just go back to that day and you remember the worst bad news that you've ever had. Because this book, the miracle of this book is, this man received news that was so bad that literally his his legs were trembling, um, his heart was pounding, um, it says his lip was quivering, and I mean, he was at the... um, deepest, lowest valley and the deepest depression he could possibly be in because of the news that God gave him. And here's what's a miracle about this book, is God instantly turned the valley around and the good news was so good, I want you to hear this, the good news was so good to this man that his worst news that he ever got the bad, bad, bad news, it turned around instantly and this man was literally out of control dancing and, and joyfully leaping in the presence of God. And if you can get a hold of this message, you will literally, it'll turn the darkest valleys and the worst news of your life, it'll instantly turn you around too. So I want you to get a hold of this book. I, once again, you think I'm over-promising, right? But I'm not. I'm actually under-promising. Alright? Turn to Habakkuk chapter 3. And if you're trying to find where that's at, if you can find Daniel, it's probably about 50 pages to the right of Daniel. It's a very small book. It's only three chapters. And it's fun to say. Say Habakkuk. That's fun. Say it again. That's fun. All right. What's that? Oh, yeah. (laughs) Habakkuk chapter 3. And I'm just going to read the first part here. You say, well, this literally means nothing, but you're going to be surprised. A prayer of Habakkuk the prophet on Shigianoth. You say the most insignificant thing in that verse is that word I just said. It seems really insignificant, but that is a 
big, big part of Habakkuk, if you understand what that word means. Let me go on a little further here. Turn to the end of chapter 3 of Habakkuk. It says, in verse 16, I heard it, and my heart pounded. My lips quivered at the sound. So you see, whatever he heard from God... It made his heart... Anybody ever got such news that your heart's just beating so hard and you're like, man, my heart's just going to beat out of my chest here. Whatever he heard distressed him really badly. And he says, when I heard it, my lips quivered at the sound of it. Decay crept into my bones. I mean, decay crept in his bones. That means he feels like he's about to die. Decay crept in his bones means I'm close to dying here. From what I heard, my heart's pounding. I'm about to have a heart attack here. It's so distressful. My legs trembled. Ever been so scared your legs trembled? This is what happened to him. And then he says, Yet, I will patiently wait for the day of calamity to come on the nation invading us. Now listen to this. Though the fig tree does not bud, there are no grapes on the vines, the olive crop fails, the fields produce no food, there are no sheep in the pen, no sheep in the pen, no cattle in the stalls. Listen to this. Something happened to this man in this whole third chapter. He's recounting how scared he was, how distressed he was, how afraid he was. And then he says this. Not, I mean, they're getting ready to be invaded by a nation is what's happening here. They're getting ready to lose everything. Okay? And he says, yet, I rejoice in the Lord. I will be joyful in God, my Savior, the Sovereign Lord is my strength. He makes my feet, and this is big. He makes my feet like the feet of a deer. He enables me to go on the heights. I'm going to explain what that means, and that's going to mean a lot to you by the time I get into the sermon. Hind's feet is going to put your feet on high places. He'll take you from the valley. If you've ever been in the valley, He's going to take you through this sermon. This is a message God breathed to me. This is not my message. I can't take uh, credit for this at all, but God is going to take your feet, and He's going to instantly, if you'll hear this message, He'll instantly take your feet from the valley you're in, from the depression you're in, and He'll put them on a high place. He'll put them on a mountaintop. And that's what He did for this prophet here. Now let me set up what happens here. It's three chapters, okay? The first chapter of Habakkuk, um, Habakkuk is praying to the Lord. In Habakkuk chapter 1, in fact, I don't think I've prayed yet, have I? Let me pray. Bow your head. Heavenly Father, right now, Lord. Father, you've shut this message up in my bones, Lord God. Father, hide me, Lord. You said that you would make me like an oracle of God that I would speak Your words, I would disappear, Lord God. They would not see me, they would not congratulate me, but they would see You, Lord God. You said I could prophesy to their hearts, Lord God. I could separate the soul and the spirit, Lord God. You said Your sword is flaming, Lord God. And it cuts right through everything, Lord God. It cuts through all the garbage, all the lies, all the deception, and brings truth, Lord. Do it today, in Your name we pray. Everybody said, Amen. In Habakkuk chapter 1, this is one of the most honest of the prophets. Okay, this man um, was so close to God that he began, 
he began asking God very, very serious questions. Okay, and he's sitting here in, in chapter 1, verse 1 of Habakkuk, and he says, How long, O Lord, must I call for help? In fact, it says, The oracle of Habakkuk, the prophet received, verse 1. And in verse 2, it says, How long, O Lord, must I call for help? But you do not listen. I cry out to you, violence, but you do not save. Why do you make me look at injustice? Why do you tolerate wrong? Destruction and violence are before me. There is strife. Conflict abounds. Therefore, the law is paralyzed. Justice does not prevail. The wicked hem in the righteous so that justice is perverted. He's crying out for his nation. He's crying out for a nation that has, that has became so wicked that he knows that God needs to begin to do something to change this, this nation. Uh, he says that they're, they're, they're righteous in this nation. And these righteous are crying out to God for revival. He said, but the righteous, you notice he said they're hemmed in. It's like the righteous are there, but they're surrounded by wicked. They're surrounded by people who pervert justice. They are surrounded by people who do not love God. And so he's crying out for his nation. And I believe what Habakkuk is doing is crying out for revival. He's crying out for God to change His nation, change the people. God to come in in justice and break this nation and begin to restore this nation and see revival in this nation. So He's beginning to cry out. And a little background on where this is at in history is this is probably, this prophet probably came along around the year that the King Josiah died. And King Josiah was a very unique king. You can find it in 2 Kings chapter 22. You can find about his grandfather, Manasseh. And then as you go to chapter 23, you begin to see his grandson, Josiah. Well, King Manasseh was a very, very wicked man. In fact, turn to 2 Kings chapter 22. If you can find it, if not, just listen. I'm sorry, chapter 21. Manasseh was 12 years old when he became king. He reigned in Jerusalem for 55 years. His mother name, mother's name was Hetzpapah. He did evil in the eyes of the Lord. Following the detestable practices of the nations the Lord drove out before the Israelites, he rebuilt high places his father Hezekiah had destroyed. He erected altars to Baal. He made Asherah poles um, as Ahab, king of the king of Israel, had done, he bowed down to all the starry hosts and worshipped there. He built altars in the temple of the Lord, of which the Lord had said, "In Jerusalem, I will put my name." In both courts of the temple of the Lord, he built altars to the starry hosts. He sacrificed his own son in the fire. He practiced sorcery, divination, consulted mediums and spiritists. He did much evil in the eyes of the Lord, provoking God to anger. Listen to this. Verse 7, He took the carved Asherah pole and made it and put it in the temple. Okay? Something you have to understand, I'm not going to go in great detail, but a lot of these gods, they, they almost all of these false gods originated in a place called Babylon. Okay? Babylon had... Um, they began to worship men. From the time of Nimrod until 
the future. The gods of the Egyptians, the gods of the Babylonians, the gods of all these nations uh, were all rooted in Babylon. And as you see this, um, tr- this evil, ungodly trinity in Babylon, you see these other nations, they just give them new names, but they're the same original gods of Babylon. And as you begin to see these things like the Asherah poles, you begin to see all these different things that they're talking about putting in the temple. These are all fertility gods. And they're very, very wicked. The practices that came along with this, very sexually immoral. Um, the nation it was just covered with immorality because of these false gods. And Manasseh, uh, Hezekiah had destroyed all these. He was a good king. He came in and destroyed all these false temples and all this false worship and all this fertility worship and all these false gods. And then Manasseh came in, and for 55 years, from the time he was young until now, Manasseh began rebuilding all of these ancient temples and even put it right in the temple. And you say, well, what came along with this? And it was all forms of sexual immorality. Um, It was all forms of uh, heterosexual immorality. Okay, it was the pornography of their day. It was the, uh, um, they would actually uh, uh, had temple prostitutes that people would come in and and um, it was just a very wicked, wicked thing. And it was also uh, homosexual uh, immorality. It was all forms of immorality um, was just all over the land because of Manasseh. He was a very wicked man. And you have to understand that. So Manasseh was the grandfather of Josiah. And then when Josiah came along, as you skip forward, Josiah is in chapter 22. Ammon was, the, Ammon was the dad of Josiah, and Ammon was assassinated. So Josiah had to take the throne at a very young age. So Josiah, it says in verse 1, Josiah was eight years old when he became king. He reigned in Jerusalem for 31 years. Okay? His mother was Jedediah, daughter of Adai. He did what was right, verse 2, he did what was right in the eyes of the Lord and walked in all the ways of his father David, not turning aside to the right or the left. In the 18th year of his reign, so he was about 26 years old, King Josiah sent the secretary to the temple of the Lord. He said, go up to the high priest and have him get ready the money that has been, that I brought to the temple of the Lord which the doorkeepers have collected from the people. Have them entrust it to the men appointed to supervise the work of the temple. Anyway, as you go on here, go down to verse 9. It says, They went to the king and reported to him, Your officials have paid out the money that was in the temple of the Lord. They've entrusted it to the workers and the supervisors. Now listen to this. Verse 11. When the king... Oh, hold on. Okay, verse 10. Then Shaphan, the secretary, informed the king, Hilkiah, the priest, has given me a book. Shaphan read from the, read it in the presence of the king. So they're digging around, they're cleaning up the temple because it had been disrepair for a long time. I mean, 55 years of wickedness and they were putting, um, pagan idols inside the temple. Can you imagine how ungodly that is? I mean, he was putting fertility, idols inside the temple of God, Manasseh was. That was his grandfather. Josiah comes along and Josiah um, begins to pay money to the um, 
the the uh, the priests in the temple, and he says, "Go clean the temple out. Let's get this thing ready to worship God again." He was a very godly young man at a very godly young age. Okay, eight years old. So they're in the temple digging around, and they found a book, and they start dusting it off, and he reads it to one of the priests. And then they read it in the presence of King Josiah. When the king heard the words of the book of the law, it was the book of the law that he found. Can you imagine the word of God was not even in circulation at that point? I mean, no wonder the nation was on the verge of being destroyed by a foreign enemy. And guess who God was going to send to destroy him in just a few verses here? The Babylonians the mother of all false worship. She's the one in Revelation that the Bible says every bit of false worship came from Babylon. And she's the one God's going to send to destroy him. But Josiah finds the book of the law. When he heard the words of the book of the law, he tore his robe. He gave orders to the priest, son of Ahikam, son of Shaphan. Achor, son of the Micaiah, Shaphan, the secretary, and Azai, the king's attendant. Go and inquire of the Lord for me and for the people and for all of Judah about what is written in this book that has been found. Great is the Lord's anger that burns against us because our fathers have not obeyed the words of this book and have not acted in accordance with all that is written concerning it. So anyway, Josiah... Here's the words of this book. Okay, very important here. He begins to tear his robe and he begins to repent before God. And he says, we immediately have to get this book out and everybody needs to hear the words of this book. And see, what we don't see here is in Deuteronomy, back when Moses, uh, in the book of Deuteronomy, Moses is about to die. And Moses gives his final farewell to the people. And he goes over lots of things that the people need to remember. And I'm not going to take you there. But in Deuteronomy, let me find it here. In Deuteronomy chapter 17, verse 14, it says, When you come to the land which the Lord is giving you and possess it and dwell in it, say, I will set a king over me like the nations that are around me. And it shall be... When the king sits on the throne of the kingdom, that he shall write for himself a copy of the law of the book. So when the king gets on the throne, what's the first thing he's to do? Get a copy of the book and keep it to himself, for himself, right? He shall write himself a copy of the law of the book from one of the priests, the Levites, and it shall be with him and he shall read it all the days of his life. He shall learn to fear the Lord God and be careful to observe all the words of this law and statutes, that his heart may not be lifted upon uh, above his brethren, that he may not turn aside from the commandments to the right or the left, and that he may prolong his days in the kingdom, he and his children in the midst of Israel. Every king that was supposed to sit on that throne was supposed to have the word of God. They were supposed to read it every day. They were supposed to keep it all the days of their life. And he said, if they will do that, they will never turn to the left and the right. You know that the Bible just said that Josiah never turned to the left or the right. He was like his, his father, David. And God, God is telling you a message today. You say, well, man, what happened to the days when I was close to God? What happened to my days of my innocence when I sought God? I was going after God. I was young and I was seeking God. And you say, what happened to me? 
Where did I go astray? Where did I go wrong? And I can tell you by the Word of God, that's what happened. The minute you, you put that Bible aside, the minute you let idols be lifted up in the temple of God, where is the temple of God? The Bible says you are the temple of God. And the Bible says we've lived, we, we have a tendency to lift up idols that we put in place of God and above God. And God is saying it's time to clean the temple out. You say, well, what happened? Why am I not as on fire for God as I used to be? God wants you to get that Bible out, knock the dust off of it, and begin to read it again all the days of your life. David or Josiah began to rip his clothes and repent and say, Dear God, I didn't know that you you I didn't know that you wanted me to behave this way. I didn't want know that the nation was supposed to be like this. And he began to read it. Why? Because his dad and his grandpa never told him a word about it. His dad and his grandpa were wicked. He didn't grow up in a home where they read it. So he needed to begin to read it. He began to, you say, well, he's the king of Israel. He had to know it. No. His household did not even care about the word of God. So God began to pull the word of God out. And he said, you become a man of the word all the days of your life. So they began to get this out. In fact, it says in Deuteronomy 31. Not only did God command that the king should have his own copy and read it all the days of his life, in Deuteronomy 31 verse 9 it says this, So Moses wrote this law and delivered it to the priests. They bore the ark of the covenant of the Lord and all the elders of Israel. Moses commanded them saying, At the end of every seven years, at the appointed time, the year of release, the Feast of Tabernacles, when all of Israel comes to appear before the Lord your God in the place that I choose, Read the law before the whole nation, for all of Israel, in their hearing. Gather the people together, men and women and little ones. Who? Men, women, and the little ones. Get them all together and read the whole thing. The whole nation had to come together and listen to the whole thing being read every seven years. This is the year of Jubilee. We'll go on. Gather together the men, women, little ones, and the stranger who is within your gates. Boy, I would love for our nation to get the men, the women, the children, and every foreign person that lives in our country. Buddhist, Islamic. You can live in our nation, but we're a Christian nation. You're going to listen to the Word of God. You're going to have freedom to live. We're not going to harm you. We're going to honor and respect you. But this is a nation who serves the Lord, is what they were saying. God said, read it to the foreigner too. This was God's intention for a nation. And the stranger within your gates, that they may hear and they may learn to hear the Lord your God and carefully observe the words of this law. And that their children who have known it may hear it and learn the fear of the Lord. Why do the children need to hear it? They may learn to fear the Lord your God, as long as they live in the land you cross the Jordan and possess. Now why in the world would they not do this? You know that all these gods were in the temple area for one reason. They, were a plur- they became pluralistic. They began making treaties with other nations. And every time they made a treaty with another nation, they would take a wife from that nation. In order to appease that wife, they would bring the gods of that wife in so she would be comfortable worshiping. And God's, God commanded them, do not take 
In fact, you go on just a little further than 31, Moses says, do not take wives unto yourself. God said, do not take silver and gold and do not become wealthy if you're the king of this nation. And they did evil in the eyes of the Lord. He said, take a word of God, read it every year, or keep it with you, read it all the time, and every seven years read it to the entire nation. They didn't do it. So now Josiah comes along and he restores all of it. Josiah was a man of revival. Okay, Josiah was a man after God's own heart. God, he was a man that didn't go to the left or the right. Guys, there was revival in the land as long as Josiah was the king. And Josiah served, what was it, 31 years, and he started at age 8. Now, how, many, how old was he at the end of his reign? 39. And around 605 B.C., Josiah dies. Okay. Josiah has passed away at 39. He got killed in a battle. This prophet was heartbroken. I want you to think about this. These godly people that had, this guy had watched Josiah. It's hard to really date exactly the year of Habakkuk's uh, prophecy, but it's sometime around the time Josiah died. Sometime around the time that the Babylonians came into power and overtook the Assyrians. So here's Habakkuk, and you can just imagine the anguish of this man, Josiah. Can you imagine your 39-year-old leader who had been a godly man his entire reign, loved God with all of his heart, restored worship, restored uh, serving the living God for 31 years? I'm not talking about a four-year presidential term. 31 years. 39 years old, he dies in battle. And you know the questions that come along with this? God, why did you take our leader at such a young age? Why did Josiah have to die at age 39? See the questions about faith start bubbling up. And the moment Josiah died, all this wickedness started coming back started gathering around, and they felt like they were hemmed in. You ever feel like in this nation, I want to do what's right before the eyes of the Lord. I want to do what's right, but every time we try to live out this word, what happens? The wicked are all around and we're hemmed in. We can't. It says uh, the law is paralyzed. It says the law is not able to do what it, what it was sent out to do because there's so many wicked that are around that will not allow God's law to be the law of the land. And so here's the situation in this. Now we can see why Habakkuk is crying out. He's depressed over the leader dying. He's depressed over the state of the nation. And he's really crying out for revival like he had under Josiah. He's crying out, God, revive this people. Revive this people. He wanted another revival. And God answers this man who had a lot of questions. And here's what's going to happen today. I want you to really pray as I'm speaking. Some of you have a... Um, you ever heard somebody that says they have a 6th grade education or an 8th grade education? Or In the Word of God, some people have a 6th grade education when it comes to faith. There's nothing wrong with that. We're growing. But today, God wants to take you from that sixth grade education of faith. He wants to elevate the depth of your faith. He wants to take you to a different level of understanding about what faith means. And if you can get a hold of this message, you'll soar. You'll go to places in God and moments where people won't even believe that that's you. And what God begins to do 
God begins to speak in Habakkuk. Turn back to Habakkuk if you can find it again. You might want to put something in there. It's hard to find. But he begins crying out for revival. And then God says to Habakkuk, look at the nations and watch. Be utterly amazed. See, this isn't a good utterly amazed. This is a scary utterly amazed. Watch the nations. Watch what I'm doing. And if you watch what I'm doing, you will be absolutely amazed. So Habakkuk's like, what are you doing? I am going to do something in your days that you will not believe. Ready for it? Even if you're told. I'm raising up the Babylonians. They're ruthless. They're impetuous. You know what impetuous is? That means they're reckless. They have no regard for uh, time. They're just like, we'll take this nation. Oh yeah, we'll take that nation. And then we'll also take this nation. They were just really reckless about it. They were so powerful, they would just one day decide to take a nation for no real good reason. And they would just overtake them and they would own that nation. Alright, make slaves out of them and be very cruel. You won't believe what I'm going to do. I'm going to raise up the Babylonians, the ruthless, the impetuous people. They sweep across the whole earth and seize dwelling places. You know what a dwelling place is? It's your house. They're going to seize your house. They're cruel. They're impetuous. They're reckless. And they're going to come in, sweep across this country, and they're going to take your dwelling place. told you it's really bad. The news is like, this is why he's trembling and shaking and his legs are shaking and his heart is pounding. And it says, they're feared and they're dreaded. They're a law to themselves. That means they don't have, they don't listen to God's law. They're so strong and so arrogant and so proud. They don't even care about God's law. They're their own law. We do what we want. It says, they are feared and dreaded. They're a law to themselves. They promote their own honor. Their horses are swifter than leopards. Fiercer than wolves at dusk. Their cavalry gallops headlong. Their horsemen come from afar. They fly like a vulture swooping to devour. They all come bent on violence. Their hordes advance like a desert wind and gather prisoners like sand. They deride kings. They scoff at rulers. They laugh at your rulers. They're fast. They're quick. They come in and devour like a vulture. They're going to take your dwelling place. They laugh at your fortified cities. They build earthen ramps and capture them. They sweep past like a wind and they go on. Guilty men whose own strength is their God. Babylon's strength is their God. We're so powerful, nobody can stop us is what they say. Now see, the prophet heard something that he was not expecting to hear. When he heard that news, it was the worst news that he could ever hear. You understand that? i got to give you the bad news before I can give you the good news. And you say, how possibly can you turn this into good news? Please listen, because this is your life. This is your life. If you want to revel in bad news your whole life, you know, sometimes misery feels good. You know, God is not the God of the wounded. God is the God who heals the wounded. You know, God doesn't want me sitting around depressed. God doesn't want me sitting around with bad news. I told you a few weeks ago, the good news that I preach isn't just that God um, died, was buried, and was resurrected. It's not just for this world. Do you understand what I'm saying? The good news is that I don't ever have to be upset. I don't ever have to be down. I don't have to ever worry. 
The Bible says the good news is big. I was reading my theological book this last week. And you know, the Bible says that the, that the Word of God looks forward to the world to come. One out of every 30 verses in the New Testament. One out of every 30 verses. 300 times it talks about the coming of Christ. Okay? And what he's going to do is he's going to give Habakkuk a revelation of what's about to happen in this world. He's going to give him a revelation of the book of Revelation. And it's going to totally change Habakkuk. He's going to get out of this temporal world. If everything you're worried about is in this temporal world, you're going to have bad news all the time. But somehow the good news gets in Habakkuk's heart. And by the time we're done here, he's celebrating God. And he's dancing uh, dancing around like uh, just without abandon. It's really amazing what happens here. But God begins to tell him about the Babylonians. Well, Habakkuk comes back and he says, No, God. In, in verse 12 he says, Lord... Are you not from everlasting? Aren't you eternal, God? It means you can do anything, God. My God, my Holy One, we will not die. Lord, you have appointed them to execute judgment. You've appointed the Babylonians to come in and execute judgment. Them? And he goes on. O rock, you have ordained them to punish. Your eyes are too pure to look upon evil. You cannot tolerate wrong. Why then do you tolerate the treacherous? Why then are you silent when the wicked swallow up the more righteous than themselves? You have made men like fish in the sea. He says that the Babylonians were like people who were fishermen. They took a net and they would just gather people up like fish. And they would take all the people up and they would say, Oh, look, we had a good catch. And they would celebrate their catch and talk about how great their nets were. That's what the Babylonians were like. They'd just go into a nation and collect everything and say, oh, it was a good fishing day. And he says, how can you allow them? We're more righteous than them. But God says, this plan that I have is bigger than anything you've ever seen, Habakkuk. He said, you're too close and you don't understand. I'm going to give you a picture. I'm going to put you in a different location than where you're at right now. You're in a valley and you can't see what I'm doing, but what I'm doing is amazing. What I'm doing is big. What I'm doing is the right thing to do. I am omniscient. You guys know what omniscient means? That means that there are several people in the Bible that had questions and they questioned God in their whole life. They would have questioned God, but God said, trust in me. Have faith in my omniscience. I'm wiser than you. Omniscience means I know everything. You know, God knows right now, this message right here that I'm getting ready to preach, this excitement of the good news, there's a whole church in China, millions of people. They're sitting in an underground place trying to keep their lives while they worship. And they're looking at that and they're saying, the good news? What's the good news? And this message that Habakkuk sees here is the good news and they better find it. If all of it's about this world, then they're going to be a pretty depressed people in China. There's an underground church in Syria. There's an underground church in Iraq. There's an underground church in Iran. Muslims are trying to cut their head off and they're looking for the good news. You go and try and tell them everything's in this world and it's prosperity and see how far it gets you. You see how far that gospel gets you. My gospel is God's about to restore everything. My gospel is God is omniscient. My gospel is they can cut my head off, but my best days are ahead. My gospel is the Lord is coming soon and this wickedness is going to be gone. My, my good news is the Babylonians are nothing before my God. 
My good news is the nations rage and the nations tremble. The heathen rages and God laughs. God laughs. You say, well, what about the Illuminati? God laughs. What about the Rockefellers? What about the Rothschild? God laughs. God laughs. God said he will let them lay bare and everybody will look at him and they'll say, wow, he was great. What happened to him? God can't do that to a Rockefeller. He'll do it. Mark my words, I don't sit around one second and worry about an Im- What was it called again? What is the... Illuminati, okay. I care so little about them, I don't remember them the second time I bring it up. The heathen rages. Babylon is just the latest superpower according to God. God says they'll come, that will be their God, and they will be gone. And he goes on here. He says, how can you do this, God? How can you use them? How do you possibly use them? Do you see the questions here? Some of you are going to spend your whole life trying to get these questions answered. And God is going to say, your faith needs to go to a different level. Your faith needs to go above your wisdom. He said, your wisdom has to become like a fool. He said, your wisdom is what is making you dumb. He said, you've got to understand my wisdom because I'm omniscient. I know everything. So he goes on here. Habakkuk says, why? The Lord's answer in verse 2 of chapter 2. The Lord answers. Then the Lord replied. Get these words now. If you want to circle, you can. Write down the revelation. Circle revelation if you you don't mind writing in your Bible. Write down the revelation. That means God is revealing something, right? Revelation means to reveal. God is revealing something to this man that just got the worst news ever. The nation's going to be destroyed by cruel people. Right? So write down the revelation, Habakkuk, and make it plain on tablets so that a herald may run with it. You know what that means? Make it clear, write legibly, because somebody's going to deliver that to everybody. It's a revelation from me. And when they say it's a revelation, you better get a hold of it. You're going to need this in life because you're going to have a lot of bad news. And you're going to have to have a lot more good news. And if you live in the good news... The bad news isn't even going to affect you. I'm going to show you later. The bad news won't even be able to get to you if you understand the good news. It's much greater than the bad news. He goes on and he says, verse 3, For the revelation awaits an appointed time. You can circle revelation again. Giving us revelation again. He's revealing himself in a special way to a man that just got bad news. There's an appointed time, okay? When is the appointed time? Let's see. Revelation awaits an appointed time. It speaks of the end. So God is giving him a revelation of the end, right? So he's going to be pouring out basically the book of Revelation to a a prophet that was 605 years before Christ, right? Though it lingers, hold on, wait. It speaks of the end, and that will not prove to be false. Though I linger, and though I wait, and, and though you wait for it, it will certainly come and will not delay. God says this will happen. Mark it down. Indeed, wine betrays him. He's talking about Babylon. They drink the wine. They don't know anything about this revelation. 
said, wine betrays him. He is arrogant and never at rest. Babylon he's talking about here, God. See, God doesn't see Babylon the way they see Babylon. He says Babylon is arrogant and Babylon never has any rest and Babylon is betrayed by their wine, which uh, later that would be prophetic because they would be drinking wine while they got destroyed by the Medes. Right? Anybody remember that? The writing on the wall, the Babylonians would soon be destroyed by the Medes and they would be drinking wine out of the temple glasses. Right? goes on. It's amazing how God knows the beginning from the end. He knows what's happening to Babylon. God's not really that worried about the Babylonians, right? We are. God's not. goes on. He gathers to Himself all the nations, and they take captive all the people. This is Babylon still. Will not all those... Will not all of them taunt Him with ridicule and scoring, saying, Woe to Him who piles up stolen goods and makes Himself wealthy by extortion. How long must this go on? Will not, will not your debtors suddenly arise? Will not they not wake up and make you tremble? God is saying, there's going to come a day when they're going to actually mock you and scorn you. What is that day? The Bible talks about in Revelation, Babylon, Babylon has fallen. And they look and they say, is this the one? These are double fulfillments. They're double fulfillments of the nation Babylon. This is all through the Bible. The double fulfillments of Babylon. It's a fulfillment of Babylon uh, in this moment, and it's also the fulfillment of Babylon in Revelation. And God says people are going to look at them, and they're going to mock and ridicule, and they're going to say, isn't it time now to pay the price, and, and your debtors are going to make you pay. God says, I'm going to judge you, Babylon, and you're going to pay the price for every little thing that you've done to everybody. You're going to pay the price. goes on. How long must this go on? Will not your debtors suddenly arise? Let's go down to verse 6. Because of your plunder, you plundered many nations. So anyway, he goes through the rest of this chapter talking about Babylon and talking about he, how he is going to make Babylon pay, how Babylon is in God's hand and God's going to do what he wants to Babylon, but Babylon is first going to destroy God's people, right? So he begins to take him to a different level. Now wait for it here. First, he's scared to death because of the Babylonians, right? Secondly, he begins to talk about how he's going to deal with the Babylonians like a little toy. The Bible says the earth is God's footstool. How big do you think Babylon is? They're like little toys on a board for God, right? And God begins to talk about what's going to happen to Babylon, right? And then something happens here in chapter 3. A prayer of Habakkuk the prophet on Shiganoth. Now this word is obscure, right? In fact, i got to get my Bible dictionary out here. It's very difficult to figure out exactly what this word means. And the only way they can is to begin to break down the word. And uh, basically the roots that are used on this word is how they figure out what it is. Strong's Concordance of Hebrew uh, the first, it says, Shigianoth and Shigian, the Hebrew word, number 7692 on Strong, says, a wild, passionate song with rapid changes in rhythm. Transliteration, Shigian. And then it says, it's from the verb Shagah, which means to reel, up, reel around like you're almost drunk. So this guy has made a song 
where he's staggering around and celebrating in an elevated emotions. He's so excited, he's just like twirling around. Okay, this man previously was shaking with his knees, right? Previously, he was scared to death at the news that was coming. Previously, he was so worried about what was getting ready going around him. And then all of a sudden, he's twirling around happy and excited. He's jumping up and down doing this shigianoth. Okay? And he's dancing around and jumping around and leaping around and he's happy. It's like a really happy song. And he begins to say some other things. He begins to say, Lord, I have heard of your fame. I stand in all at your deeds, O Lord. Renew them in our day. In our time, make them known. In wrath, without, in your wrath, remember mercy. God came from Taman, the Holy One from Mount Paran. His glory covers the heavens. His praise fills the earth. His splendor is like the sunrise. Rays flash from His hand. His power was hidden. Plague went before Him. Pestilence followed His steps. He stood and He shook the earth. So now He's seeing something totally different. He don't see the Babylonians anymore. He sees God step onto the scene and it shakes the earth, He says. And then He says, um, The ancient mountains crumbled. He stood and shook the earth. He looked and made the nations tremble. The ancient mountains crumbled. Now, did the mountains crumble whenever Babylon was destroyed? What happens when Jesus sets foot on the earth? It says He comes down in the second coming, the exact place where He was resurrected, right? The same place where He elevated back into heaven, right? And the Bible says on His second coming, His feet will touch the ground. And the Bible says that mountain where His feet touch will actually split in half. The ancient mountains begin to crumble the moment His feet touch the ground. This man is getting a revelation of the last days. He's beginning to see how powerful God is, how well God planned every part of history out. His feet touch the ground. The ancient mountains begin to crumble. And he goes on, and he says, And the age-old hills collapsed. What happens when God begins to recreate the heavens and the earth? The ancient mountains begin to collapse. In fact, the Bible just says, I mean, the whole, I mean, the whole sky is rolled up like a scroll. The ancient mountains disappear. All the, the, the ancient mountains begin to crumble. It says, I saw the tents of cushion. They were in distress. These were the giants, okay? They were distressed. It says the dwellings of Midian were in anguish. Were you angry with the rivers, Lord? I mean, basically he's saying, you mad, bro? Right? You've done, you've done this to the rivers? God, why are you so mad? Why did you do this? Were you mad at the rivers? And he goes on and he says, Did you rage against the sea, God? When you rode with your horse on a, in victorious chariots. Now, when in the world... Did Jesus ever go against the Babylonians on a horse victorious? It wasn't when Babylon was destroyed, right? Because the Medes destroyed him. But the Bible says in the last days, here he is on a white horse, right? He's wiping out all the enemies of God. They've gathered together and it says the fight was so fierce that he spoke the words and they they won. You know how badly God fought the enemies? He spoke the word and they were wiped out. And it says, here he is on this horse. This is prophetic, man. Get a hold of it. God is saying, I'm coming back and this Babylonian thing is minor. I'm going to speak words and my enemy is going to scatter. I'm going to get on the earth and the earth is going to split. It's more than you just getting saved and getting on fire for God. We are princes. 
We have an inheritance. We are princesses in the kingdom of God. And He's about to wrap all this wickedness up. You may feel like you're hemmed in by the wicked, but God says, no, you get a vision of what I look like. And you'll say, are you mad at the rivers, bro? You'll say, God, why are you so angry? God's angry because there's sin in the world. I want to be on His side. God is going to come back to this earth and He's going to execute judgment. God will not. What Habakkuk was saying was, why do you wait, God? Why do you allow this to happen? And God says, it's not going to happen very much longer. God says, I may be waiting right now, but there's going to come a day I'm going to come back on this earth and I'm going to restore absolutely everything. He's seeing a revelation. Can you get a hold of that? You say, Habakkuk? I didn't even think those books were real. This guy got a revelation of the last days. And it says, Did you rage against the sea? When you rode the horses in the victorious chariot, you uncovered your bow. You called for many arrows. You split the earth with rivers. The mountains saw you and they writhed. The deep roared. It lifted its waves on high. The sun and the moon stood still. The heavens at the glint of your flying arrows, the lightning of your flashing spear. You see this? This guy's in battle. I mean, Jesus is coming forth to go against his enemies. And you can see the flash of his arrows. I mean, he's watching Jesus in battle. And he sees just the, the splendor of him in battle. And he's seeing him coming back in his glory. He's seen this. Do you realize this? This man on his worst day with his worst news ever seen this. He's seen a revelation of God going into battle and wiping out all the enemies of the world and establishing His kingdom. He's seen this. So now he's starting to dance and now he's starting to get excited and now he's starting to say, I don't even care about the Babylonians anymore. And he goes on. And he says... The sun and the moon stood still in the heavens at the glint of your flying arrows. Let's go down to 12. In wrath, you strode through the earth. And in anger, you threshed the nations. Do you see this is not just Babylon anymore? This is Revelation. You come out to deliver your people. You save your anointed one. You crush the leader of the land of wickedness. You strip them from head to foot. Your own spear has pierced his head. Your warriors stormed out to scatter us, gloating as though they're about to devour. They're gloating like they're going to win, and God just devours every nation and every enemy. You see this, and He's beginning to see it. So now we get to where we started. You trampled the sea with your horses, you turned the great waters, and it says, I heard, and my heart pounded. My lips quivered at the sound. Decay crept in my bones. My legs trembled. Now he changes here. Now I'll wait patiently. He sees that God's doing something. He's seeing that God is up to something. He sees the thing that God said He would see. You'll see this and you will be amazed. You'll hear it and you won't hardly believe it, what I'm doing. It's not the Babylonians He wanted Him to see. The fear of the Babylonians is not what he wanted him to have. He first feared the Babylonians, right? And then he could see a shadow, if you will, cast over the Babylonians, and he realized there was a God that was a million times bigger than the Babylonians. And then he began to tremble at the presence of the Lord. He began to tremble. At first he trembled because of the Babylonians. 
But now something changed. And now he trembled at the fear of Almighty God. The Bible says it is a fearful thing for you, pointed all of you, to fall into the hands of the living God. Don't fear him who can kill your body. Fear him that can, when your body is gone, can cast you into a real hell. And he began to fear God. That's why we were supposed to read the Word of God to our children so they would fear God. And he began to fear God and suddenly the Babylonians did not look so big. And here's what happens. This is amazing. I wish every sermon I had closed with what this is. Because this is amazing. His legs trembled. I will wait patiently for the day of calamity to come on the nation invading us. Now listen, even though the fig tree will not bud, okay, this is all the things that they depended on. We're not going to have any crops. Um, crops are going to fail. No grapes will be on the vine. Um, there will be no produce for food. That means there will be no tomatoes, no cucumbers, no broccoli. There will be nothing to eat, right? No grocery stores. There will be no sheep in the pen, so no meat for my belly, Right? Castle, there will be no cattle in the stalls. Yet, let me tell you what happens to him here. Do not miss this. Yet, I will rejoice in the Lord. I will be joyful in my Savior. He's still dancing and joyful and happy. Right? And here's what he says. And do not miss this. The sovereign Lord is my strength. He makes my feet like the feet of a deer. He enables me to go to the heights. You say, well, what in the world does that mean? Get this. All right? These people had watched mountain ranges, all right? And he says, I'm going to make your feet like the feet of that deer. What they would do is they would look up the highest places in those mountains, and what would they see on the top of that mountain? These deer have an incredible ability to travel gracefully on the rockiest mountain cliffs. They could get in places that nobody believed they could ever get, right? They had these little feet that they would, one foot would hit the rock, and then before they would jump to the next place, the same rear feet would actually go to the same place the front feet was on, and then they'd jump to the next one. Have you ever seen, in fact, uh, my boys and I went one time to the most wilderness part of our property. I think you were with me that time. And we went to go find some area. There were some areas back there that people probably hadn't been to for 50 years. Remember we had ourselves covered head to toe. and I mean, it was the most rugged area. And we could find, we kept tracking deer, and we kept finding more and more areas where these deer were. And the deeper we got, I mean, the worse it was. But then you would see a deer, and like we were covered in, I mean, mess. We couldn't hardly move, but that deer was so graceful. He'd just go right through there like it was nothing. They'd go on these mountaintops and they'd just leap from place to place and get this. No matter what was happening in the world, nobody could ever touch those deer. There's no battle armament that's going to get up in that mountain. There's nobody that's going to get up there and even, even hunt that deer because it's so rugged. And God said, Habakkuk, and anybody who's faithful to the Lord, I will give you feet like that deer. And Habakkuk, what you're going to do is, because of your faith, in fact, I missed the whole crux of my sermon. Chapter 2 says the just will live by faith. That's what God told him. He said, Habakkuk, you, the just will live by faith. I'm going to give you feet like a deer, and you're going to leap above all of this. 
People that love God, they're going to have feet like a deer and God's going to put them in a place where they're completely removed from all this that's coming to the world. Because I'm going to protect you, I'm going to keep you. You know some of the greatest people of God went through this Babylonian captivity and God took care of them. God took care of the remnant. He pulled them out in three bunches as the Babylonians were attacking. Everybody else didn't believe, but God pulled this remnant out. Three different stages. He pulled Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego. Almost every great prophet came around this time. Uh, Most of them came right before, during, or after uh, the Babylonian captivity. And God was very faithful. God made them have a viewpoint that was totally different. God let them have feet like a deer, and they began to climb. Now remember... At first, he was in the valley, right? The first, he um, he didn't understand what was going on. First, he was in the dark. At first, he was depressed. At first, he didn't understand. First, he had questions of why Josiah died so young. Had questions about why they were going to attack. By the end of this, he's celebrating, and he says, "The just will live by faith." And then God begins to give him these little feet like a deer, and he begins to elevate into a different location. By faith. You see this. He began to elevate to a different location in faith. No longer was he looking at the temporal things. God took him to a place where he could see everything. God took him to a place where he could see eternity. God took him to a place where he could see the end of the Babylonians. God took him to a place where God would do the final judgment of all men and He would set up His millennial reign. And God took him to a place where he revealed himself into, to Habakkuk in such a way that the fearful man that you've seen at the beginning of the book by the end is celebrating and joyful. And that's what God wants to do to you. God wants to give you feet like a deer and God wants to take you to the high places out of the valley. God wants you to begin to celebrate. I, I can promise you right now, there's not one bit of me that worries about what God's getting ready to bring on this earth. There's not one bit of fear about tomorrow. There's not one bit of worry about tomorrow because God has given me feet like a deer. God has given me the ability to climb up to high places. Don't look at my feet. He was thinking it's more like an ogre. But <laughs> Spiritually, do you understand? If you will live by faith and trust God, you say, well, I want to know all the answers. I want to know how America is going to be destroyed. I want to know all the private plans. I want to know why this happened. I want to know why that happened. I want to know why this happened. God said the just live by faith. They will trust God's omniscience. And you know what? Habakkuk never had another question. Habakkuk just began to trust God. God began to elevate him through faith. He just didn't worry about it. So the worst possible news this man could ever have, no longer did he fear. God was so much bigger than the Babylonians, Habakkuk had no fear whatsoever. Stand your feet. Brian. Praise the Lord. Everybody would bow their heads.